This is CliffCentral.com. Welcome to Future CEOs here on Cliff Central. My name is Gareth Armstrong. It's great to be with you. Luby, that was a lovely smile that you just shot at me. It's so good to be back. It's so good to be back in the space and this company and the energy. So, um, <laughs> are you happy that I'm back? <laughs> it's good to have you back. Yeah. Well, it's, it, it's felt like it's been quite a long time since we shared the studio together. It has, it has, but a lot of wonderful things are happening out there. I think there's a, a real great movement for people just to do good and to do better and make the world a better place. And especially being an entrepreneur, I think the world needs more people to come alive and just do what they love and try to make the world a better place. Well, that's what I so appreciate about you specifically is because what you try and do on an active, ongoing basis is balance the two. So you're always doing something good. And if people follow you on Twitter or Facebook, social media somewhere, they're going to see lots of pictures with you with kids and doing a whole bunch of good stuff. The ultimate question being, what is your why? Yeah, and we heard a great, a great um, way of asking this the other day, which was, uh, if you go and you write down your why, what do you think your why is, and it doesn't make you cry, then it's not really your why. So, um, Andy, have you heard that before? Uh, do I mean, you like that? What do you think? This is all from the, the Simon Sinek, start with why. <laughs> start with why, but it, they took it a step further, which was... The why it, must make you cry. It, exactly. <laughs> yeah, we've, we've actually done a, a ton of work on that at, at For Good. Um, yeah. So, we, we have a why. It, it took a long time to get to, and it's, it's a hard process. Um, but I can share, with, share that with you later if you want. Wait, wait, wait. Let's introduce the guy, Gareth. Well, we never do introduce him. <laughs> Andy I was wondering if I just slipped <laughs> slip straight <laughs> in there. Yeah, I've forgotten about you, Andy. Yes. A- Andy, so traditionally what happens here is, or what happens in other shows or, or even platforms is that people get introduced and there's these long, laborious uh, you know, reading of a profile. We don't do that here on Future CEOs. No, please don't. We, we, <laughs> we want you to introduce yourself and then brag a little. So take, take 30 seconds, take a minute. Who are you? And tell us, tell us some, some interesting stuff. Not the, not the kind of guy that brags. Um, I'm just, a, just a, an everyday South African that uh, kind of fell in love with tech at a fairly early age and has just been experimenting with some wildly different career paths and projects and products Mm. uh, throughout my entire life. Uh, I got two kids. I got a great family. um, I love tech. I love this country. uh, I've become an increasingly sensitized white guy in this country, which I think is really important. Absolutely. Uh, I haven't got it right. Uh, I probably never will, but it's it's on the right path. Um, But yeah, I'm just a... I'm addicted to experiences, mm. uh, whether that's that. personal, adventurous, or or business, and that seems to be how the, how my life shaped up so far. We like to call you a, a an opposer of convention, a digital native, and challenges everything to create impact. The so, digital native is a, is a is a funny term. But, I mean, when I was growing up, I was showing my kids this the other day. They, they don't get it. I was trying to show them what a computer looked like in 1987. Oh, yeah. You know, it had a green screen. I showed them a picture of King's Quest 1, uh, which is this old game. And they just don't get it because they're sitting on a PS4 Pro in 4K. <laughs> and not a Commodore you know? 64 <laughs> having to program their own stuff. I remember those you know, days. I tell people that when, when I got my first email address, um, yeah. I was like, I think I was eight or nine years old. And the only only person I could email was my dad who was sitting next to me because no one else had email. <laughs> so this is a lifelong thing for you. So, I mean, Perfect time to start 
from the very beginning. Uh, absolutely. As I think that let's start from the beginning in a particular kind of way, which is you used a word there which was experiment. You've been doing this experimenting with different career paths. What kind of person are you and how did you then develop into a person that has the confidence to be able to experiment in di- with, with different career paths? Because not very many people can do that. Not with confidence anyway. Yeah, it's an interesting question. Um, and I suppose part of part of being at For Good for the last three or four years is, mm. has sensitized me to upbringings um, quite a lot, especially from a South African context. And I mean, I think having incredibly stable parents um, kind of just breeds a bit of confidence in you. Mm. Growing up extremely privileged um, breeds confidence in a person. I mean, by the time I hit matric, I'd been overseas twice with my school, once on, on an exchange program and once on a, on a hockey tour. And just so many kids don't get that. Uh, in a I, lifetime. In a lifetime, exactly. Um, and well, so I, I'm, I'm going to jump in here because I would think that sometimes the, the converse also happens, the opposite happens, which is that you, you grow up sheltered um, and privileged and that as actually pulls you away from reality and then you enter the real world and it's just a, I mean, it's a ton of bricks that hits you and you don't really know how to recover from that. Uh, so I, I hear what you're saying and I appreciate what you're saying, but, but there's something more. There's something inside of you that has brought you to a point where you have been doing what you're doing and you're now a CEO because not everyone is that. Yeah, I'd, I'd, it's, it's, it's quite hard to self-diagnose often. Mm-hmm. Um, but I can't think of anything besides just just a fairly stable upbringing, and and I, I was just I just had the space, you know. Here, here's a cool story. So I went to UCT again, privileged enough to go there. Um, worked hard, got a got a bit of an academic scholarship, which helped with fees. Um, mm. But you know, a lot of it was was just being right place, right time, mm. and. Um, one of the so I started off uh, in a law degree. It was a B A L L B. We were the guinea pig year of when they introduced streams to UCT, and, and I'd done all this career counselling at school, and I was like, right, I'm going to be a, a lawyer. I'd seen I'd seen L A Law on TV, and this was just like, oh, yeah. this was like pre suits. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. That, that's the stuff that pulled us in there in that direction. <laughs> exactly, this is the good stuff. So I arrive at uh, at varsity, and I was going to do a BA with a whole bunch of subjects to get a general education and go into LLB. Then they had these streams and um, they were like no no you have to choose exactly what you want to be from day one which which threw me completely mm. so I said okay fine law so I started in this B-A-L-L-B five year ex- uh, accelerated stream six months later I was like ah law is for the birds <laughs> uh, it's just it was nothing like it was on TV and I switched to BA media and one of the the fascinating things which you only realize in hindsight was I only went to varsities on two uh, varsity on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Oh wow! Um, BA was pretty easy. Uh, it was a lot of you know philosophy one hundred and nine, which is uh, write essays and you know smoke stuff. What, what people um, what, what people aren't seeing is Annie's body language here, which suddenly got a little bit more fluid. <laughs> so I, I can can we safely assume that you wrote essays and did stuff or smoked exactly. stuff? Oh yeah. Um, but here's here's kind of the point of the anecdote is that. Going to Varsity on Tuesday and Thursdays gave me an enormous amount of free time. Mm. Um, and I just started filling it with stuff. So mm. one of the first things I filled it with was um, campus radio. So UCD Radio. Um, I was the advertising manager. I had a primetime show. Um, and I just started experimenting there. You know, <laughs> we streamed UCT Radio. 
um, into this pub called Barney's, which was down down there. I and know ba- Barney's, yeah. By streamed, I mean we took a tuna and plugged it into their PA <laughs> so that they could play the Dan Nichols show every day between two and four. Mm. Um, and then in, in about second year or so, or the end of first year, um, I f- started a business um, just because I had this time. I had this space. And I think that's probably one of the most exciting things growing up is that I've just always had a bit of time and a bit of space, which has allowed me to to try these interesting things. A friend of mine once said, uh, or once was talking to a mentor of his, and his, the mentor said to him, you're never going to be rich. Because um, this was a few years ago, my friend was an, an aspiring wealth creator <laughs> and mm-hmm. um, said, you're never going to be rich. And he said, why i mean I'm, I'm putting my heart and soul into this and he said it's because you're too busy you you don't have the time and so time is such an important part of all of this i'm so busy but i still want to be rich so is it never going to happen well well it's about what you do with your time Correct. and so let's throw this back to andy uh, you did you were able to start some of these things have the confidence and courage to do many many things that others wouldn't do Correct. why is that where did that come from I don't know. Um, maybe just insanely competitive as okay. a person. Mm-hmm. Um, so losing sucks, and I just never wanted to do it. Uh, maybe that comes from an all-boys school. Uh, it's, a, it's a hell of an interesting argument mm. these days about where you put your kids in, uh, in uh, sing, single, uh, single-sex single schools or mixed-sex schools because there are pros and cons either way. And I went to this, this school, which was, was all about, you know, if you, if you, if you didn't win, you got chewed up what and spat out. It's the school that everyone tells you they're at, which I tried Bishops. desperately not to do. <laughs> <laughs> I knew it. Okay. I knew it. <laughs> See, I did avoid telling you. Uh, you did. You did it. You, you went all that way and then uh, busted you, I think. Uh, so the it's an incredible school. It is an incredible school. Yeah. You know, let's not at all uh, 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 put it down. But, Andy, but what you got there, though, was comp- competitiveness. Listen, exactly, and work yeah. ethic, you know, and working smart. You, you, you know, you can go to school and learn the context, but it's about... And I, I went to Rustenburger High School, Rustenburger High Schools, and I found the same. Same with sex. I mean, those kind of schools, yes, we weren't bishops, but it's about how they train your mind to work and work hard and yet work, hard, work smart. But yet, I think at that point in my life, I wasn't really uh, entrepreneurially savvy. And I think... Some, Who is that? I know, I but know. I think sometimes it comes to people earlier on than others. Where did you find that within yourself, Andy? Yeah, you or see, do I- you or are you? I, I'm not even sure I am. I, you know, when yeah. I when I tell these stories, I I think I fell into entrepreneurship accidentally and kind of kicked and screamed against it for almost twenty years. Now. I love that. <laughs> I love that. And it was it was kind of after that radio station. So I remember the I remember this like it was yesterday. The station manager and I uh, we were having beers and we said, you know, these notice boards at Varsity. And again, I'm showing my age here because um, we had pigeonholes as well where you got to <laughs> store stuff. But like, can't that be done by this thing called the internet? Um, and so we did this whole business plan and scope for um, what was essentially moving student notice boards online with a whole bunch of interesting stuff. And, um, you know, started doing our research and found that one actually already existed. And it was this company called Get Alive, mm. uh, Gal.co.za, which was a, an incredibly popular portal, but way back in 1999 onwards mm, mm. so i reached out to the guy it was um it was launched by a guy called john coon um who was uh, at vitz and incidentally gareth cliff uh, was an early investor and mm. he was very involved with that project um so wow. this this kind of really goes way way back um and 
by accident, I don't know, I was cocky, uh, you know, maybe that comes from the bishops, and I, and I said, well, listen, you know, I can compete with you, or we can just join up and do this together, and to his credit, John said, sure, um, so in order to prove myself, I launched galcape, uh, mm. it was, and that's it, you know, falling into tech, falling into business, before I knew it, you know, in final year, five students were doing um, their theses on this company. Wow. Uh, my thesis was this company. We had 30 people, uh, mostly paid with beer. Um, <laughs> a couple paid with real money. Well, well, uh, <laughs> that, that's startup life, right? That is. Um, trade, trade, absolutely. And I, I ran that thing till, till two, 2004, I think. Um, and we peaked at 1.2 million page impressions a month. Mm. If you go back to 1999, Absolutely. so that that was probably say 2003. That was an insane yeah. amount of traffic. I mean, it's, an, it's an insane amount of traffic, but I guess some some might argue, well, look, the maybe the barriers to entry were higher at that point because it wasn't so. Certainly, the knowledge wasn't all pervading, but it also it feels like there were only a handful of sites on the internet. Thank heavens at that point. Now it's all over the place. Let's pull that into then the for good thing for a moment. Let's just reflect on for good. For good, how, do, how have you differentiated there? Because you're the CEO, you're, you're running this platform. Just talk to us a little bit about how you've actually got it to move in a particular direction amongst so much. Yeah, I think the trick with with for good might come a bit in the origin story as well, or, or at least how I got involved. And this has been a pattern that I've noticed in my life: is I, I seem to be better at taking someone else's idea, polishing it up, and and kind of getting it to work. Mm. Um, I have done a startup with my own idea, which we can chat about. It's great. It was a wine startup and a beer startup, um, and that did some amazing things, but ultimately failed. Um, and so for good was not my idea. Uh, mm. It was the idea of a guy called Garth Jaffet, who's mm. very well known in the in the social sector. He was the and Garth's been here on the show, and we've spent some time with him. Oh, Phenomenal great. human being. Yeah, founder of Soul City, yep. founder of Heartline. Ama- amazing, amazing. Yeah, he's an incredible guy. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's everything except a technologist. Mm. And um, Garth and I met. Uh, I, I sit on the board of a nonprofit called the Wittkoppen Health and Medical Center. This mm. is amazing primary healthcare NGO um, down on. Uh, on William Nickel, mm. and so we met on that board. And uh, he, as he, as he always tells the story, he was bored in a board meeting, um, and he Googled me. And previously, I was kind of between things at that stage, and I'd written this post um, about how it really pissed me off that you had to be rich to be philanthropic, mm. um, and that the world was destructed in this way that you couldn't do something good unless you made enormous sacrifices, uh, usually in terms of capital. And, and wealth creation mm. and I didn't think that that was fair and I didn't think that that was right neither um, do I and and slowly we're being proved right yeah. uh, and so Garth read this and he said okay look here's a tech guy who's a rampant capitalist that might have a, a social bone in his body mm. um, and we became friends and, and so we kind of gave For Good another shot um, For Good has actually been around since 2008 oh really uh, it was just way ahead of its time mm. oh, really? um, way 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 ahead of its time yeah and so November 2014, we kind of joined up, um, and then we, we literally we tried to learn from the past, and then we treated it like a new company. Mm. Uh, and I think one of the most important things we, we did to get back to your original idea of how you take companies in certain directions and how you carve out a piece of the world is that mm. I, I, I didn't want to run a nonprofit. I'm not that kind of guy. Mm. Um, but I wanted to do something meaningful. I wanted to experiment with a meaningful job as opposed to you yeah, know yeah. a lot of tech, which is just conversion rates and, uh, and, and and selling wine and selling beer and, and those kind of things. Yeah. Um, and so we built a 
social impact company that actually had a business model. Uh, I'm liking this a lot. Which three and a half years ago was rare. It's changing and that's really exciting to see. Um, and so we had this thing and what, what the way we the way we frame it is that we try to give 50% social returns and 50% capital returns. Um, and you'll never actually achieve that, but the tension that it creates makes for some really interesting decisions. Mm. Yeah, and, and, and some increasingly in, interesting innovations in the absolutely. space. I mean, abs, absolutely. Absolutely. And mm. just to this point, yeah. I, I think too many people think that innovation or creation, the creative process, happens in a quiet room somewhere, but actually it's a it's a very tension-filled process, and that's what you're highlighting. Yeah, here. completely. Um, and... Yeah, that's so that, that that was kind of the positioning. So when we launched it, it was this volunteering platform that was free and it got charities involved and volunteers and all this kind of thing. But behind the scenes, we were we had started already before it was even developed, as with most dazzling startups, we'd started selling it to corporate South Africa as a solution for their employee volunteering. So now that takes you straight back into a very typical business um, speak, which is a, it's a SaaS company, software as a service. Um, it's a B2B company, which typically in South Africa is a, is a much safer bet than a B2C company. Mm. Um, and so while while this public brand was growing and, and we were trying to ride this, uh, ride this crest of, um, of goodwill and people mm. wanting to become more socially conscious mm. but not knowing where to start – we were hammering and pounding the pavement, trying to sell, you know, trying to flog this to corporates as a as a tool, as a software tool, um, and that I think is what what got it to where it is now. It gave it that that edge um, that's allowed it to survive for the last three and a half years. What has been the most difficult time out of, you know, from the initial startup that you created in For Good? What has been the toughest lesson learned? Sure. Seems like there've been plenty. Yeah, I mean every every business has a different lesson, which is which is I suppose what's so fascinating about these experiments. Um, I think what's for good, and I have this argument with a lot of people, especially in the social sector. Mm. Um, they they disagree with me wholeheartedly, but I think I'm right. So, <laughs> I I think we're selling something that people want but don't need. Uh, and when you think of who our target customer is, that's, that's corporate South Africa. Um, now, I'm going to put a disclaimer is that the 13 corporates we already work with are, are incredible. They're brave. They're pioneering. Um, they put their money where their mouth is, and they're trying to do something which is just completely underdeveloped in the developing world, this culture of volunteering, which is shocking considering the developing Correct. world is where we need it the most. Correct. Um, like you so, so much, yeah. So they're Listen. disclaimed against um, mm. because I think you know not only did they did they bite it at our pitch, but um, they are trying to do something different. Mm. But for the rest of the for the rest of the companies that we've pitched to, and I ran the numbers the other day, it's quite frightening. This is for all the budding entrepreneurs that listen to your show. How many no's you actually get? We mm. know that mm. story, yeah, so and don't take it personally. That's what I've learned about it. Yeah, correct. We've pitched 198 companies. Oh wow. Uh, we've pretty much gone from the JSE top to bottom, yeah. um, of which we've had 13, hopefully soon 14, um, say yes, and a couple of them are now with us for, for two, three years. Um, and I think the reason so many of them said no is that social impact, CSI, volunteering, employee engagement, while it sounds like the recipe for modern success, you know, putting purpose alongside mm. profit, and that's that's part of our pitch – Companies want it, but they don't need it. Mm. While the existing capitalist system of returning value to shareholders still exists, this tension is never going to be broken. Mm. Um, and realizing that and realizing that that, that was going to make this, this thing even harder uh, mm. was 
possibly the toughest lesson that we still learn every day. I'm interested in this pitching journey because, and I want to continue to talk to those entrepreneurs that are in that phase of, and we'll go into that phase again and again and again. And yeah, you're never really out of it, are you? Yeah, you're you always never, pitching. I'm, I'm, you're always <laughs> yeah. selling, you're always pitching. Absolutely. The, at what point did you begin to find success? So how many pitches did you have to go through and what did you have to do in order to iterate or change, develop that pitch in order to actually be heard? Just, just to talk about that, not, not, not the detail of it, but rather just the journey of it. Yeah, um, so we had, a, we had a little bit of early success from a sales point of view, a um, couple of big name brands that, that came on board. And I would say that was largely just through networks. Mm. Um, you know, if I've learned anything over the last 20 years of playing in the space, it's the networks are just so powerful. Are, are they really, Andy? <laughs> yeah, I know. But no one will tell you how to build one, and building one's actually quite hard. <laughs> you, you know, and one of the questions that we like throwing out to our guests is that, you know, what are the measures through the journey of success? Is it the connections that you have through your networks, or is it your typical skill set that you have as a business or as an individual? And people always say it's a merge of both. And people always say that your network is a net worth. Yeah. And I, I would add one thing to that. It's yeah. any kind of success, however temporary or, or, or sustainable, yeah. is network and just sheer grit. Mm. Um, you know, that, that's where most people fall down, I think, in this whole entrepreneurial journey is say, you know, pitching to 198 people and just getting turned down again and again and again. You know, on average, it takes me four or five emails just to get a response mm. um, from a person within a corporate yeah. space. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's just the hustle of the game. Um, mm. So I think we had some early success due to networks, and then it was just sheer grit and slowly starting to learn that often what you're selling is not quite what they want to buy. Yeah. And this is my point. So what, ha what often yeah. happens is that you, yeah. uh, the, the, the phrase is you stare at your own navel. Um, and, so, and really what you are doing is you, you're so convinced that, that the words that you're saying are, are what they're hearing and what they're wanting that, that you, you, you're blind to the fact that they actually want something else. Yeah, mm. totally. Um, and so what did we learn? CSI teams, um, who mostly we pitch to, we should be pitching to a combination of CSI and HR because mm. one of the exciting things about volunteering is that this is this is this is engagement. This is how you you know you allow people to grow within an organization. But in South Africa, we're so far behind the curve that out of 198 companies, we've had HR in the room twice. Oh wow! Um, so the the gap, you know, and and I really feel for CSI teams because CSI sometimes, and especially in corporate South Africa, is a a team of one maybe two, um, hmm. dealing with a publicly listed company with billions of rands. They're they're kind of shucked off into a corner, uh, told to spend one percent net profit after tax, take some nice pictures. <laughs> that sounds cynical. It's um, the truth. But <laughs> it's it's the truth. I believe you. There, it, there's a lot of that you. that goes on. And, I believe you. And so understanding that and empathizing with these teams and then and then figuring out that one of their biggest challenges in the CSI space is that they are enormously purposeful people that want to make a difference and they have the financial firepower to do it, but they're completely under-resourced. They're mm. given very little budget and they're asked to do things that, that they just don't have the teams to execute on most of the time. And you also need, as I read through your paper, I'm not going to pretend that it sounds for me, that the executives need to have the buy-in as well. You want the CEOs to show that charge and to show that chase and to show that leadership. Yeah, but I mean, here's here's the cold slap of reality. Yeah. is You're not going to get a meeting with a CEO about an employee volunteering program. Yeah. Mm. You've got to go in at CSI and hope that somehow the CEO picks up on this, supports it strategically, um, 
it, you don't go in at that level. We've made that mistake before, just going into senior. Um, you actually have to go in with the team that's responsible for it, and, and it has to be on their scorecards. They have to be incentivized to roll this out, or it just meanders. Mm. Um, and so I think just, you know, everyone says understanding your target market. It sounds so cheesy, uh, but you do. And the more you pitch and the more they say no, the more you learn about those mm. little levers that you have to pull. Mm. Um, you know, one of the biggest levers for us is understanding the purpose-driven nature of CSI people, understanding they have no time, and pitching for good as this tool that means they don't have to run around after employees, yep. finding them places to volunteer. Uh, and it sounds so simple, but that's often what, what gets that first set of interest going. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I just think about how many times, and I mean, we've, we've sat through, Luby and I certainly have been invited and sat through a number of different pitching competitions and opportunities and how often people miss the mark. And so go, go out and test. I think that's the lesson here. Go out and test. And sometimes the, the test is a trial by fire in front of a client and they're going to say, no, 100 and... So cool. what's, what's 198 minus 13? Yeah. Maths isn't yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that many times. <laughs> Andy, let's go back into your journey. Yeah. So you you hit this point where you are, are now developing websites. There's uh, Then there's an evolution again. Talk to us about this next evolution. Yeah. So, geez, I mean, I think one of the most life-shaping experiences happened uh, near the end of Get a Life because um, the original founder, this guy called John Kuhn, uh, he died. Mm. He was 24. Oh, wow. Um, so he was, uh, he was doing a Rhodes Scholarship. I think he was just out of it. Uh, that's kind of the last couple of years where I'd taken over the company entirely. Um, that's the kind of guy he was. Like, the mm. fact that he got a Rhodes Scholarship, he was incredible. Mm. President of the SRC at Fitz, et cetera, et cetera. Mm. And he had a heart condition that most people didn't know about. Wow. And he, one day he just died. Mm. Um, and I learned one of the hardest lessons ever um and in fact a whole a whole slew of lessons about how to let go and and how hard you have to fight for certain things but uh, one of the more interesting ones was, was just how important getting your legal stuff right is oh. um, and so I mean, we were students you know um we hadn't done the legal stuff right and so that entire company got sucked into his estate and if you've ever gone through any kind of estate planning or estate management you know that pretty much that freezes everything, everything yeah um, and I fought tooth and nail to keep this thing alive for a year, year and a half, um, dealing with his family who was grieving and not particularly interested in, in how this thing was running, but Absolutely. more extracting whatever value there was left as a reminder of their son. Mm -hmm. um, and it was, it was just this torrid emotional time. Um, and eventually I just had to walk away. Mm. Um, you know, it just, it just got to a point where it didn't work. And, and unfortunately, because I was so involved, most of the people walked with me and... You know, the best thing to come out of it, out of it was uh, John's mom set up a, a foundation for um, kids. Mm -hmm. So while that thing was still making money, which was for a surprisingly long time, um, it uh, all that money went into this foundation for mm -hmm. getting kids through university, and that was kind of an ending um, to uh, to a very sad story. But well, what's interesting about it is that it's almost a forced ending, uh, yeah. which often people don't have to experience. It's it's not something that that you're driven into. In this particular case, you're driven that direction. You're a smart individual, though. At what point are you looking around and saying, "Okay, this this is dying. I can see it's moving away from where um, we wanted it to go. I have to move on." Yeah, you know, I think like realistically, that happens when when you when you when you know when you realize you've lost control, and you might have actually lost control six months prior Long to that. Uh, yeah, but um, the realization mm, only hits you. <laughs> yeah. Exactly, mm. um, and it was it was something I went through again with with uh, with the second startup. Um, which 
which probably should have ended sooner than it did. It's it's the slow death. Um, mm. And it's one of the biggest pieces of advice I think I have for anyone is that if you're going to die, die fast. Absolutely. <laughs> so, so you, you can, can recover. So you can recover yeah. and, and, and try again. Um, and succession planning, what would you say to entrepreneurs about that in their businesses, Andy? To be honest, yeah. I, have, I haven't even thought of it. Um, to be brutally honest, yeah. uh, I, I got it wrong at Gala. You know, I thought this was what I was doing. You know, we were building this empire, um, and so I hadn't even thought. I, John hadn't thought of succession planning. Maybe I was his succession plan. That that could have been that. Um, and it's just actually never come up. It's it's something I'm finally starting to confront it at for good. I suppose um, is that what is you know how do I you know I don't think I'm going to be CEO forever. I think I want a young black South African to head up this mm. company. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think maybe that that is a really interesting way to to end a chapter, um, bearing in mind we have a long, long way to go. Um, and I've got to find this person and I want to train them. And, and there's a lot I still want to do. But that's as close as I've come to, to succession planning. As CEO at For Good, what is your daily priorities? What do you have to do? Now? Will you wake up and do what? Uh Sure. I mean, Tell us your day. isn't that the isn't that the cool thing about entrepreneurship? Is it's different every Absolutely. single day. Absolutely, <laughs> every moment. Yes. Tell us about your day. The only thing that that's that's yeah. the same every day, I suppose, is a, a a rampant and OCD practice of of inbox zero. Um, oh yeah. It's just trying to stay on top of that. Yeah. Because um, yeah. I have uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> I have friends who have eighteen thousand unread emails in their inbox. God. And, yeah, I don't, I don't know how they're still I don't know how they're still <laughs> alive, existing. yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, you know, very much OCD keeping on top of that. But it really does change. Um, and I, I think the role of a CEO is mm. is to kind of dip in where necessary and not too much. Mm. Um, no micromanagement stuff. Exactly. If, yeah. if, if you don't let your people and your team do it mm. themselves, A, they're never going to learn, but B, you're going to constantly get this repeating cycle of, of your decisions and, and what it is you want. Absolutely. Uh, the whole thing about Bad scaling. Mm. No, the whole thing about scaling is, is mm. different perspectives and then trying to remove barriers. Um, and maybe that's a good description of, of like anyone who's in charge of something. That's your job is to remove barriers. Mm. Um, Love that. But but you did s- introduce it at, at a particular point in your leadership journey, in the, the, the business's journey, which is that's really at the point of scale. Prior to that, you I mean, you, often you are pulling in team members who may be technically sound, um, who don't always see what you're seeing, and so you're talking about a point of scale. So I'm just I'm just yeah. talking to any entrepreneur out there who thinks, okay, now I'm going to start releasing, but actually it's an no, appropriate time to good, do it. Good point, um, and I think you know even more important to say that that the hustle of these kind of things, and you know we we think of for good as being three and a half four years old. Um, there's still an enormous amount of stuff that I do myself, um, of course, because it's part of the hustle. Of course, uh, I still email every single client that we pitch to. I still am involved in almost every single pitch. Um, that's the hustle of it. I'm still doing product design. I'm sitting with our dev team debugging. Um, I'm logging tickets. Uh, I'm doing data capturing every now and again when when we have a crisis. I'm doing training. Um, there is still an enormous amount of hustle. Uh, but it was, I think it's something in any kind of person's leadership journey. And the word CEO can actually be a bit misleading because it, it sometimes makes you sound enormously senior when, when that's not always the case. Mm. Uh, the CEO of a listed company, the CEO of a, a 50 to 100 million rand company, and the CEO of an SME mm. can often be very, very different people. Mm. Um, but I think I eventually in that journey did realize that you just can't scale yourself. 
Um, you know, this comes from a guy who ran um, my second startup was Real Time Wine and, and, and My Beer, and I ran that by myself. Um, so, you know, it might sound all wise now, but I, I only know this because I've screwed it up before. Mm. Uh, I just couldn't scale myself. Um, and it was one of the first things we did at Figured was just set about building a cracker team. It's a small team. It's eight people. Um, but that's 800% more than I could be doing. Possibly Absolutely. 1,000% more than I. What are your strengths? What are your weaknesses as a leader or as a business person? Um there's a there's a fascinating uh, what what do you call it like an HR test called the the Gallup strengths mm. the Gallup I don't know strengths. if you've come across yeah, them um, and what I really like about them is that a lot of these these personality or, or skills based tests kind of identify the type of person that you are and then help you focus on correcting weaknesses mm. uh, whereas Gallup is very opposite to that mm. and that identifies your strengths and says don't worry about your yeah, weaknesses focus on this focus yeah. on your strengths you're yeah. good at it um, so my Gallup strengths are quite quite funny um, it's very much kind of I, I break the scale on extrovert um, so it's all about communication and uh, one of the <laughs> sounds a bit cheesy but one of the Gallup strengths is woo woo, uh, woo. woo. Yeah. like that which is yeah. uh, your ability to, to kind of c- to like communicate that. and charm and, like that a lot and build relationships like that a lot um, and I, I think that's probably what I'm best at is not being a dick uh, as an overriding <laughs> number, what, number one, <laughs> don't be a thank dick. You, thank you, Gallup. <laughs> and, yeah. Uh, yeah. And, and just building these relationships and actually, actually caring about the people that, that work in our team. And uh, what kind of people do you look forward to work with? Well, and I, I want to add to this question is, is how do you find them? Because uh-huh, there's going to be so yeah. many people out there that – that are trying to trying to scale, trying to expand teams. Of how the heck do you find them? And what do you look for? Yeah, I mean, if there's anything more frustrating um, in South Africa it's the mo- at the moment, it's that people think we have a job shortage, but we don't. We have a skills shortage. Um, it's right back to back to the whole education thing. Um, mm. I'll give you my best hack, and and we'll see where, where that goes. Mm. Um, Perfect. One of the one of, one of the curses of hiring is mm. the spray and pray approach used by people. What is that? Um, so LinkedIn, Biz Community, all these kind of portals where you advertise, yeah. they've made it so easy to apply. One click apply with mm. your preordained CV. Mm. Um, the people don't actually pay attention to the specs anymore, which means now the burden is on you as the employer to go and filter through hundreds, sometimes thousands of CVs. So we invented this little hack and it's, and it's worked a charm is that um, at the top of the job spec, we say, please don't just submit your CV, read the job spec. Mm. And at the bottom of the job spec, we say, do not submit your CV. Any CVs that are submitted will get ignored. Um, please answer these five questions. Mm. And it's frightening. But How many people? Yeah. So our yeah. averages for, a, let's say, a program manager, which is like a, a junior account manager that wants to like scale up quite quickly in, a, in an entrepreneurial environment, um, you're talking through two to five years experience, say. Um, we will get two to 300 CVs. Um, we will get maybe five or six wow. that answer the questions. But that filter... You're now dealing with five or six exceptional people mm. who've actually put some effort into this and mm. kind of know that they want you as much as you need to figure out whether you want mm. them. Uh, and that's that served us really well, especially you know trying to, trying to figure out which questions to ask mm. and then how to interpret the answers. Mm. I, I, I love it. Often these these recruitment processes, there's 
there are kill questions that people put there, but this is actually this is not a kill question. This no. is this is pre way pre question. This is actually seeing do you do you read? Uh, are you can you see detail comprehension? Oh, yeah, just, just a, yeah, yeah, anyway, yeah. yeah nice. Just just giving a damn about the process. Yeah. Uh, you know, <laughs> it's <laughs> yeah. To your one click. Yeah, yeah. 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 So I think that's that's helped. Um, but you know, that's it. It's 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 frighteningly hard to hire and, and and find good people and and not only find good people and here again i think we have this difference between being a ceo of a of, a, of an sme um versus the ceo of a listed company is that at some stage you get to scale where one person leaving hurts but doesn't break um whereas yeah. for the majority of businesses in this country that are in the say zero to even 20 million turnover a year i mean i think the gap really is that big um, you are so reliant on your team, especially the team that sticks around, that when, when one of them leaves, mm. it breaks things. Um, and as the CEO, that's now on you to dive back in there and try and build it up again. Um, With everything that you're doing, are you, uh, do you make time for a good book? Or a, how, do you, how do you self-educate? How, you, how do you self-improve? How do you upskill yourself, Andy? As skilled and as knowledgeable and as educated as you already are, because I know you always want to improve. You're that kind of person. Uh, I think that's very complimentary. Um, yes or no? <laughs> perhaps not true. <laughs> really? <laughs> what do you What do you do? So just, just stay ahead of your pack. So it's an interesting question. Um, I battle with online media, news, and articles and things like that because I, I think. A, the world has just become too distracting. You know, you've got mail notifications, Slack notifications, WhatsApps buzzing all over the place, tweets. Um, and I, I just don't find I have the, the, the attention span to, to get through those things. Mm. Um, and then also for some reason, and this might be a generational thing, but YouTube just doesn't work for me. I don't know why. I think it's because it's in, as, as a digital medium and it's just too easy to get distracted. Mm. Um, you know, I know my kids are growing up in a YouTube generation and I, I look forward to them teaching me. But here's the only, the only trick and the only hack that's ever worked for me mm. and that's podcasts. So I am a rampant, are you? rabid listener of podcasts in the car. I even force my kids to sit through it sometimes. Um, every single time I'm in the car, there is a podcast playing. And you're, um, you're a podcaster, but you also love podcasts. I've been involved in podcasts. I wouldn't say I founded one. Uh, just haven't had the time. But yeah, I've been on plenty of podcasts and, and I love them. But the quality of material that is getting produced nowadays on podcasts and this on-demand nature of it, that you can listen when you want, you can pause, you can carry on on a different device, um, has just revolutionized. And you know, I, I look through the subscription list on my phone and there, there is some absolutely incredible academic material about business and life mm. very nice Libby. wrapping it up um let's do a quick fire round very quickly yeah, then for for fire. our our wrap up so a book you'd recommend to our future ceos community i know you've spoken about podcasts but just just give us a book that has made a real impression the lean startup the lean startup yeah i read that about three quarters of the way through the real-time wine journey and and just face palmed for about three weeks uh, because yeah, I how could I have done I committed every sin that that book speaks of. <laughs> <Yeah>. uh, <laughs> and <laughs> it is it's it's that book is all about testing. Yeah. Um, it is and yeah. yeah, quick prototyping, moving to the market. Yeah. It's uh, the recipe for the modern world. You yeah. you have to read it. Mm. Yeah. Okay, so the lean startup, the the worst advice you've ever received. Sure. Worst advice. Worst advice. 
Um, <laughs> it'll all get better. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Great. <laughs> it kind of underplays the, the, the grit and the hassle that you actually need to get through a lot of this mm. stuff. Um, Skills or connections when it comes to business success? Connections. Mm. That's three. Hey, yeah. Yeah. Three. I'm almost sad to say it. Mm. It kind of hurts a little because I think skill, you've you got to be excellent at what you do. Um, but connections is just a game changer. You can learn skills. Um, connections take time to build. Attitude or aptitude? When you're attitude. hiring. When you're, when you're hiring. hiring. Yep. Nice. Attitude or aptitude? Attitude. So we have a, a, a line on, on our job specs, which have become quite well known. Yeah. And the one is um, university degree required. If you don't have one, tell us why you don't need one. Mm. Ooh. Mm. Very attitude. Very nice. Yeah, you're, I, you're bringing out the gems today, my man. Yeah. So uh, we, we have these guests. I get excited. <laughs> I say, I tell you, I tell you. Can you hear me? Yes. She hasn't been here for a while. <laughs> So we, what we do is we have guests that come on and they share gems. So we're going to be quoting you a lot. A lot. There are some good stuff. There's some good, good oh, stuff, babe. Okay, so let, let's then let's wrap it up with this final question, which is if you could go back in time, and we do ask all of our guests this, if you could go back in time and talk to the future CEO, 20-year-old future CEO you, what would you say to yourself? Give, give yourself one or two pointers. It's a very Tim Ferriss question of, your, mm. of yours. Um, I think... I think I would tell that person that it's okay to experiment. Um, you know, it, it's fine in hindsight to say I've had this this crazy life with all these crazy experiences, um, moving from, I mean, if, you, if it's student media to, uh, mm. so let's, let's trace it, student media to kind of the construction industry to banking to the booze industry to, booze, to now yeah. to you know social impact. That, that there's awesome. no there's no path there. Awesome. Um, and it looks it looks fine in hindsight, and it looks like it was all preordained and, and planned out, but it wasn't. Um, and the the kind of stress that experimentation puts on you as you as you kind of have to toss something away and, and start something new is is a lot. Uh, and I would just tell that guy that it's absolutely okay to experiment. Um, the millennials know it, and that's that's why they act like they act. Yeah. They just have this this confidence around being able to reinvent themselves yeah. that I think the Gen Xs and I'm, I'm I'm on the border between Gen X and Millennial. Mm. Um, <laughs> my, my my young team constantly reminds me of this. Mm. Um, I think we just didn't have that. We we were. We were expected to do something and do it well. Mm. The kind of Dr. Lawyer stick to one thing and do it well. Correct. Experimentation is okay. Yeah. That's the advice I would give a 20-year-old 20, 20 me. Andy Hadfield, the CEO of wow. For Good. Thank you so very much for your time and for your insights and for sharing so many of your stories. Wow, well, connecting people who want to do good to organizations that help their that need their help. Let me do that again. Connected people who want to do good to organizations that need their help. Thank you so much. And it was such a privilege having you in studio. And if you want to listen to that podcast, don't forget to go to Cliff Central or future CEOs on our website because he will truly give you pearls of wisdom for your business. Thank you, Andrew. Absolute pleasure. This is cliffcentral.com.